Welcome to this podcast from Riverside Church Whitstable. We hope you find it helpful and encouraging. If you would like to find out more information about us, why not check out our website at riversideuk.org, our Facebook page, or follow us on Twitter at WhitRiverside. Good morning. Oh, that was nice. That was a nice response. This morning, we're going to be finishing our Outward series, this series over the last four weeks that we've been looking at. And we've been looking at over these four weeks, we've been spending time in Jesus's Sermon on the Mount. And we've been looking at Jesus's teaching on turning our lives outward, turning our lives outward, turning our lives towards God and towards others. And this morning, as we come to the end of this series, I thought it'd be great to look a little bit bigger picture, to look a little bit of what it looks like to be outward in our focus, what it looks like to be outward in our priorities, what it looks like to be outward in the way that we do our life, the way that we see our life and the way that we see our purpose. So I want to start by asking three questions that are absolute classic questions for careers advisors to ask you. I was asked these questions when I was at school and I'm sure many of you have been asked these questions before. But I want to start by asking these questions to reflect on. You can chat to the person next to you about your answer if you want, or you can just quietly uh, reflect on it yourself. The questions are this. What is important to you? What motivates you? And what goals do you have? Okay, you only got like 30 seconds to work out your whole life here. So what's important to you? What motivates you? And what goals do you have? Either do it by yourself or with someone next to you. You've got 30 seconds. Let's not think too deeply about this. Just what comes to mind. All right. Okay. Hopefully you've all reflected on every priority you have in your life. What is important to you? What motivates you and what goals do you have? I wonder, as you reflect on these things, whether your answers to these questions have changed over time. Whether your answers to these questions, maybe they've changed as you've matured. As you've matured, your priorities have changed. I mean, a very simple uh, explanation of that for me, where my priorities have changed as my circumstances have changed. I think being married has forced me to consider my priorities. (laughs) See, when I was single, I only really had to think about my own plans. If I wanted to go to the pub, I'd go to the pub. If I wanted to play sport, I would play sport. If I wanted to have some time on my own, I would just go and have time on my own. And when you get married, I think I had to learn very quickly what were my priorities because I had to know how to negotiate well. 
And I had to know how to negotiate well, and I had to choose what was really, really, really important to me so that they were the things I was negotiating with. I had to choose if I wanted to play football on the Monday, it would be if I play football on the Monday, then on Tuesday we can go and do this together. I had to prioritize and then negotiate with Emma of what timings might work. And I'm telling you now, Emma is a hard negotiator. (laughs) But for all of us, what is important to us, what motivates us, and what goals we have, I presume, have changed over time. I'd be very surprised if anyone here said, my answers to these three questions are the exact same as they were when I was just a child. I mean, for me, I grew up and my dad did something that I didn't realise was happening at the time. And I look back and realise I've been conned. So I, he did something called games and prizes on a Friday evening. And what that basically was is we did an hour of maths. But he gave me a sweet every time I got the answer right. So he made it seem like it was games and prizes because I was motivated by the sweets. So I spent an hour doing maths. So I got those sweets. See, I was motivated by sweets, but now I don't think I'd do an hour of maths for a couple of sweets. See, in the same way, the Bible explains that when we follow Jesus, when we choose to follow Jesus, our focus changes. Our focus changes as we follow Jesus. Paul describes us as a new creation. When we follow Jesus, when we begin a journey of following Jesus, he says the old has gone and the new has come. Every part of us, as we follow Jesus, starts to refocus. The lens from which we see everything else, including ourselves, changes, or at least that's what the Bible says should happen as we begin to follow Jesus. Our focus shifts and the lens from which we see everything else, the lens from which we see what's important to us, the lens from which we see what is it that motivates me, the lens from which we look at our goals, these things should shift. And as a result, our answers to these questions, what is important to you, what motivates you, and what goals do you have, our answers to these questions should begin to change as our priorities turn outward, as our priorities turn towards God and towards people. And as we know, faith isn't a specific moment in time, a moment where you step over the line into faith. That's not what faith is. Faith isn't a specific moment in time, but instead it's a constantly moving journey. It's a journey towards Jesus. So as we grow, as we grow in relationship with 
Jesus and in maturity in our faith, our answers to these questions, what's important to you, what motivates you, and what goals do you have, our answers to these questions should be altering in line with our faith journey. See, just like how we wouldn't expect to answer these questions the same as we would have when we were kids, we equally shouldn't expect our answers to these questions to remain static. We shouldn't be expecting our answers to what's important to you, what motivates you, and what goals do you have to remain static. If we're growing in our faith and in our relationship with God, the answers to these questions are changing with it. The answers to these questions are evolving in line with our faith. And this is because as we journey towards God, he refocuses our vision so that we can see the world more through kingdom eyes. And I want to come on a little bit later to what it means to see the world through kingdom eyes. There was a phrase uh, going around about 10 years ago, so it probably came to you lot about three years ago. Um, And the phrase, (laughs) because of where we live, The phrase was this, and now you're going to say, we were saying this 20 years ago. The phrase was this, YOLO, you only live once. Has anyone heard that? Hands up if you've heard YOLO, you only live once. Hands up if you've heard it more than five. No, I'm not going to ask that question. And it was used to say, do whatever you want to do in the here and now. Think about yourself. Because you only get to live once. You only get one opportunity at life. This was this idea, YOLO, you only live once. And to be fair, this phrase was a reflection of a genuinely positive movement that encouraged young people to live life to the full and not waste opportunities because of fear. That was the roots of YOLO. But it does have a downside. It has a downside to it because it encourages an inward-facing life. You only live once. YOLO, go and do whatever you want in the here and now. It's a slightly hedonistic approach to life. Yet, I'd say many of us, many of our priorities can easily be founded on this philosophy. And the gospel begins to challenge this. In fact, the Bible tells us that our existence on earth is just a speck, is just a speck of our eternal existence. And as we've seen over the last few weeks, there's a challenge in the gospel that says how much more important is it to store up heavenly, eternal treasures than to seek treasures here on earth, than to seek simple achievements and treasures on earth? How much more uh, valuable 
are these heavenly, eternal treasures. The the gospel gives us a new, less hedonistic focus in our lives. It asks us this question. How can we spread the love of God in and through our lives? How can we spread the love of God in and through our lives? Over the last few weeks, we've been looking, haven't we, at at Jesus' Sermon on the Mount, which can be found in the Gospel of Matthew, chapters 5 to 7. And as we explore this sermon that Jesus uh, did, I hope you've noticed that Jesus continually challenges those listening about many practical elements of their lives. He's challenging about many practical elements of those listening's lives. We've heard it over the last few weeks. But through each example, there's a consistent question woven into the text. And the question is, how has the gospel changed the way you live your life? How has the gospel changed the way you live your life? Or putting it another way to fit with how we've, uh, called, what we've called this series, how's the gospel moved you to be more outward focused? How's the gospel moved you to be more outward focused? And this is kind of the crux of the Sermon on the Mount. Jesus' sermon was so many things held together, but woven through it all was this question. How is the gospel changing the way you live your life? This is the point he wanted those listening to go home mulling over. And what he did is he used various loads of examples to drive home this point. And if you read the entirety of the sermon, you'll see that there are kind of three sections to it. The first section, Matthew chapter 5, verses 1 to 12, uh, verses 1 to 12, which is blessing in godliness. In here we see Jesus explain that there's blessing in responding to Jesus' life in godliness. He says that those who live their lives as a response to hearing the good news will be blessed. This is where the Beatitudes are. And then, so that's just the first 12 verses. And then uh, the second one is Matthew 5, 13 to 20. And in this section, Jesus encourages those listening to be bold and to change their lives in order to be what, what he calls godly. Jesus encourages those to be bold and to change their lives, to change the way they live in order to be godly. He's encouraging 
godliness. And then the whole rest of this sermon, a whole two chapters of what we read, Matthew 5, 21 to 7, 23, the whole rest of this is Jesus picking out 15 different examples of what it might look like to live differently. Jesus picks out 15 examples of what it might look like to change your life as a response to following him. What it may look like to change the way that you do life as a response to the gospel. And I'm sure that Jesus could have used so many more examples than just the 15 that he used. But his sermon was so heavily weighted on really making this stick. See, the first two sections, blessing in godliness and encouraging godliness, is basically saying you need to live different. You need to live different anyway. You need to live different as a response to my teaching. You need to live this way of loving others. And Jesus could have used more than these 15 examples over these two chapters that we read. But I'm sure he felt that 15 examples was enough for those listening to go away and understand the point. The point wasn't that here are 15 ways you can change the way you live as a response to following me. The point was everything in your life should alter as a response to following me. Everything about your life. Here's 15 things, not five, but 15 things to show you all the different ways your life should be altered as a response to following me. Jesus's point, every part of who you are should be affected as you choose to follow Jesus. And now Jesus knows, uh, probably from the track record of the disciples, that people often struggle to understand his messages. So in case there was any doubt, in case those 15 examples weren't enough, in case the whole sermon was in one ear and out the other, in case they weren't getting it, he finishes the Sermon on the Mount with a mini parable, a mini parable to drive home his point, a parable that ties all of these things together, and a parable that he was hoping would leave those there reflecting on their own lives. And that's where I'd love us to open up to today. If you do have your Bibles on you, it's Matthew chapter 7, 24 to 29. But as always, it will be on the screen behind me. It says this. Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who built his house on the rock. The rain came down, the streams rose and the winds blew and beat against that house. Yet it did not fall because it had foundation because it had its foundation on the rock. But everyone who hears these words of mine and does not put them into practice is like a foolish man who built his house on sand. The rain came down, the streams rose, the winds blew and beat against the house, and it fell with a great crash. 
When Jesus had finished saying these things, the crowds were amazed at his teaching because he taught as one with authority and not as their teachers of the law. So Jesus finishes with this parable. This parable where he hopes will really sink in his message. And in this parable, he talks about two opposing responses to hearing Jesus's teachings. Two opposing responses. Response number one was the response of who Jesus calls the wise man, who hears the good news and puts it into practice. So response number one, hears the good news and puts it into practice. And the second response is the one Jesus calls the foolish man, who hears the good news but does not put it into practice, who hears the good news and continues to live their lives the same as they had done so beforehand, who hears the good news and gets on with their life as if nothing has changed. See, Jesus purposely leaves the listeners with a provocative parable for them to mull over as they reflect on this sermon. He's basically saying, if you hear my message and continue living your life the same way as you were before, then you are foolish. What a brilliant ending to any sermon, one that I'm sure many church leaders and preachers would love to do with a little mic drop at the end of their talk. If you hear this message and continue living the exact same way, then you are foolish. Mic drop and you're off. Jesus is saying this message requires action. Jesus is saying the gospel requires action. In fact, he's saying if you hear his message, if you hear the good news, if you hear the gospel, the only wise response is one where you change how you approach everything. The only wise response is one where you change not just these 15 examples that I've given you, but everything about how you are wired, how you do things, what you approach, what motivates you, what's important, and what are your goals. Whereas the foolish response is one where you change very little. The foolish response to Jesus' teachings is one where very little really changes. There's a film that came out last year that I think illustrates this foolishness that Jesus is talking about in a great way. It illustrates to me how we can hear something so important, so life-changing and genuinely life and death and yet continue to live our lives as if nothing has happened. This film's called Don't Look Up, and we're going to watch a short trailer for it now. This is not real. This is not real. This is not real. This isn't happening. Kate, uh, tell me this isn't really happening. 
I hear there's uh, something you don't like the looks of. We discovered a very large comet. Oh, good for you. It's headed directly towards Earth. This comet is what we call a planet killer. At this exact moment, I say we sit tight and assess. Sit tight and assess? Sit tight. And then assess. The sit tight part comes first, and you got to digest it. That's the assessment period. This is the worst news in the history of humanity. He just blew us off. What are we going to do? We have to release the information. So we just leak it. Our guests today have made a pretty big discovery in space. How big is this thing, though? Like, can it destroy my ex-wife's house? Is that possible? <laughs> there is a 100% chance that we're all going to die! Okay. Hey. Hey. <laughs> well, the handsome astronomer can come back anytime, but the yelling lady, mm, not so not much. Not so much. We're going to get the news out there one way or another. It's real and it's coming. This comet contains $30 trillion worth of material. What do trillions of dollars matter if we're all going to die? Oh, no, what if we're rich? That would be terrible. Who's seen this, this film before? It's a bit of a love it or hate it film. It's, it's, it's kind of a bit marmite. If, if you've seen it and loved it, put your hands up. Okay, that, that seems most... If you've seen it and hated it, put your hands up. Just you, Matt. Yeah, great, that's fine. So one thing that I loved about this extremely satire film is that it manages to highlight the inward mentality of society. See, this film is so profound whilst being very humorous and light-hearted, but underneath it, there's a genuinely deep and slightly scary illustration of how inward-focused we can often be, how self-obsessed and blinkered we often are. And the reason I think it's so profound is because we recognise the responses in the film to this planet-killing comet. We recognise this, oh, we'll just get on with life as if nothing's happening response. We begin to recognise these responses in our government, in our society, and most, what scares me the most is in ourselves. We see that often our responses to genuine issues like climate change, famine and natural disasters are often the same as we continue on to live our inward-focused, self-obsessed lives as if nothing is happening. And in a very similar way, we can sometimes allow our inward focus to stop us from allowing the gravity of the gospel to change the way we live our lives, to change our priorities, to change our focus. I think it's so, so easy for us to be so absorbed in our lives, in our jobs, in what we do, in our hobbies, in our people around us, so much so that we can't help but live an inward-focused life. So much so that it's almost the only thing that matters right now is me, what I'm doing, and my life. 
Jesus says, if we hear the gospel, if we hear Jesus' teaching, but still prioritize the things on earth, then we are foolish. He says, if we hear the gospel, but don't let it alter our political views, then we are foolish. If we hear the gospel, but don't let it alter our aspirations, then we are foolish. If we hear the gospel, but don't let it affect how we spend our time or how we spend our money or our relationships, if we don't allow it to change everything about who we are and what we do, then we are foolish. And logically, I think it makes perfect sense. Because if the claims of the gospel are true, then nothing really matters other than devoting our lives to live life the Jesus way. If the claims of the gospel is true, then what matters is that we live like Jesus. Everything about us must be rewired. Our purpose changes. What's important to us changes. Our motivations change. Our goals change. And these changes, according to Jesus, are the response of a wise builder. This is the right response to hearing the gospel. Our lives become built on new, firm foundations. So there are natural questions that we should be asking. What are the firm foundations that Jesus is talking about? What does it look like to respond to Jesus' teaching in a wise way? And how do I know if I am responding to Jesus like the wise builder or the foolish builder? I think the first two questions are fairly simple to answer. What are the foundations in building a life following Jesus? I would summarize it by this. Love the king. Live the kingdom. So what does that mean? Love the king. Live the kingdom. Well, love the king. In Matthew chapter 22, Jesus is asked, what is the greatest commandment? And Jesus replies, love the Lord with all your heart, with all your soul and with all your mind. And it's this love of Jesus that's the foundation from which we can do this second part of the phrase. It's the love for Jesus from which we are then called to live the kingdom. And live the kingdom talks about the same, the same question where Jesus is asked this same question, what's the greatest commandment? Jesus continues saying, the second greatest commandment is just like the first. Love your neighbour as yourself. Notice that Jesus links these two things together. Loving God, loving neighbour. And the reason for this link is because the more we love Jesus, 
the more in turn we will turn to love people. The love of the king brings us to a life of living the kingdom, of living life the way Jesus did. The more time we spend in God's presence, the more overflowing of his love we will be. The more we'll leak his love and the more we'll share his love with others around us. Because the Bible tells us that we love because he first loved us. If you long to live a more outward-facing life, a life that shows love to those around you, that loves God in all that you do, then spend time with the source of love. We love because he first loved us. When we love the king, the only natural response is to begin to live the kingdom, to alter the way we live in order to focus on loving God and loving others. It's the overflow of our love of God is living the kingdom. So I want to take us back to those careers advisor questions. What is important to you? What motivates you? What goals do you have? And to add one more, what is it that you are trying to build? And where are your foundations for it? How do we know if we're responding to the gospel like the wise or the foolish builder? How do we know if our lives have been truly transformed by the power of the gospel? How do we know if we're changing in our, as we grow closer to God? Well, you might get a hint of that answer as you reflect on your answers to those questions. What's important to you? What motivates you? And what goals do you have? How do our answers to those questions show that we are loving the king and living the kingdom? Thank you for listening. If you would like to contact us about this talk, to hear more or to find out about Riverside Church Whitstable, then visit our website at riversideuk.org. Also, you can contact us through our Facebook page or tweet us at Whit Riverside.